SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry, with me is George. Hello everybody. And on this episode we're getting very heady. We're going to be talking about art, we're going to be talking about music, we're going to be talking about visuals, and I guess a little bit of gameplay and video games. Um, so what, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, well, last week we talked about Super Monkey Ball, and that was, uh, what was that, like 2001 release? Yeah. Um, and this week we're usually we mix it up, but this week we're actually we're sticking with that era. Uh, this was a request from a patron, so if you support us on Patreon, you get to tell us what games to do, and we might no, we always we always get to them and do them ASAP. Um, in this case, we needed an extra week to do a little more research because, as you'll see, this is a game with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff behind it. Um, so what's the game? It's Rez. So originally released to the Sega Dreamcast, Rez was a musical rail shooter developed by United Game Artists, directed by Jun Kobayashi. No relation to the hot dog guy, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and re- produced by Tetsuya Mizuguchi. And the game is one of the handful of notable Dreamcast games to never receive an American release, despite releasing in Japan and Europe. So as such, Americans recognized the game as a third-party PS2 title released in 2002. And so yeah. we're going to have, I guess, you know, like a unique American perspective on the release of this game. So when yeah, did you first learn of Res, and when did you first play the game? So I didn't play it on the Dreamcast. I, I played it after, and if I did play it, it, it was like burnt. I don't know if it was rare or not, but I just remember I couldn't find it. But I did play it on the PlayStation 2 after I heard stories about, well, we're probably going to be talking about this later, but there was an add-on for it that was basically, (laughs) uh, I guess, controversial and was Mm -hmm. uh, very sexual in nature. And when I heard about it, I was like, well, I got to play this game, obviously, because, I mean, I'm a Sega fan, and it's not only a uh, rail shooter, which I like, like... Star Fox is one of my favorite 64 games, and Panzer Dragoon is one of my favorite Sega Saturn games. So I, I tracked it down a PS2 copy, so my first time is playing it on the PlayStation 2. And yeah. uh, some people on the comments are going to call me a sellout. Uh, I mean, it's whatever. Uh, I just wish it came out here on the Dreamcast in America, but I have the American version of the PS2. Uh, what was your first time playing it, Barry? So... Uh, you know, every Sega fan who was a Dreamcast owner has their story of, you know, where they went after the great death of the um, the almighty console. The cleansing. <laughs> the cleansing. And um, I've said, uh, I think I even said last week on the last episode, um, I went to the PS2 and the Xbox because I was a huge Jet Set Radio fan, so I wanted to get Jet Set Radio Future. And PlayStation 2, honestly, like, there's nothing specific that really hooked me. It just seemed like PS2 was getting like the rest, you know, like I couldn't really nail it down at the time, but I guess looking back, it was like more of the Japanese, maybe experimental games. Um, And then the typical stuff like Virtua Fighter, you know, the more classic Sega um, titles like that. And 
I feel like Res was the game that really stood out to me because I was like Virtua Fighter, like that's fine, but I don't have any friends to play with. And um, I'm trying to think what else like Sega was releasing like at that time when I was getting a PS2. It must have been this game that really pushed me over the edge, uh, though I don't remember knowing that it released to the Dreamcast in Japan or Europe. Yeah, um, it feels like Res was had like less than zero dollars in marketing because even back then, like when House of the Dead Two came out, or like even stuff like Cosmic or what was that Cosmic? Um, what was that? Smash. The, the yeah, Cosmic Smash. Yeah. Like I heard people talk about that game on the internet, but like Res on the Dream on the Dreamcast, I feel like it took a while to get a cult following online, or maybe I was just talking to people that didn't really play that game. It was it was so strange because I feel like I only heard about the game because of that set, the the you know the vibrator basically that they created for it. And to me, right. it's like wow, I feel like that probably sold more copies of the game than anything Sega could have done, like to promote it. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. And, I mean, that was very early in games, I guess, journalism. That's when we were reading a lot about video games. And so to see this kind of, like, crazy thing happening with a Sega release in the third-party era, you were like, the hell's going on? I need to check this game out. And I think, you know, actually, I, I do remember, obviously, reading the news stories, but I also remember looking into how I could get the uh, peripheral <laughs> and um that's one of my earliest uh you know kind of peaks into importing yeah oh, yes. and because i was like oh you can buy this stuff and so i think through that i got a lot of things from japan through websites like play asia and um there was another one that was really oh ncsx do you remember that is that the one that Sony shut down because they tried yeah. to sue them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, that. yeah. I bought Dreamcast shells, a uh, clear Dreamcast shell from them, and I think that's where they had the transvibrator. Oh, and um, <laughs> yes, uh, and I was yeah, and I was uh, like, oh, they got that, they got that, and then it was gone. But um, yeah, and so it's. I mean, I I'm, I guess I'm just kind of surprised because I know games like Headhunter and Shenmue Two. At the time, I was really upset they weren't releasing to the Dreamcast. But I guess just because there was a lack of the uh, official Dreamcast magazine, and I don't really know if that magazine actually covered Res. Like, I feel like Res came so late that it was it was debuted, um, and we'll get into that, like in the middle of 2001, and I think the magazine was, like, wrapping up at that time. So there was no real journalism covering the Dreamcast release of this game. It's not like they were doing um, playtests with journalists or anything. It was really... Kind of the game was demoed and then it released shortly thereafter, which um, I guess is unique because Jet Set Radio was really being shopped around to journalists. I feel like Sega of America were really um, afraid that the game might flop in America. So they were giving a lot of extra time for American journalists to cover it and really play it and get to know it. Same oh, with you, Shenmue. You could definitely tell because yeah. like... They were really pushing uh, Jet Set Radio here. And like I said, remember we talked about in the Jet Set Radio episode about the commercials and stuff they played? It was just uh, it was just strange. They really tried to push that one. This one, yeah. not so much. Headhunter, no, no, no. not so much. No, Headhunter just got a little bit. I guess I was just aware of it because they were like, coming soon to the Dreamcast, and it never came out. Um, yeah. So, getting back into the development of the game, the team behind the game contained several Team Andromeda members who were known for their work on the Panzer Dragoon series. Other members of Team Andromeda joined Smilebit 
and they're known for Jet Set Radio series, and later for Panzer Dragoon Orta, Jet Set Radio Future, and Gun Valkyrie. So how do you think the Panzer Dragoon games influenced Res? I mean, it's pretty obvious. And what connections do you see with Smilebit's gameography and Res? And I'm asking this question because as we move on, Mizuguchi is going to have a lot. We're going to be talking about him a lot. And I think people forget that there's a team of people that worked on this as well. Yeah. And I feel like their influences did impact the game, even though this was a very personal project for Mizuguchi. So how do you think... What, what connections do you see between... So while yeah. like um, a game like uh, Panzer Dragoon, obviously the rail shooting aspect, the, the way the crew... Cr- uh, you can hit multiple objects while mm-hmm. you're doing it... Um, the 360 uh, viewpoint like you did on Panzer Dragoon. There's mm-hmm. also like the art style was later used by Misaguchi when he did uh, Luminous, the puzzle game. So it's like he, I don't know, like the art style is obviously his. It seems like to me at least because when he went mm. third party after Sega, he still kind of uses that like low resolution, you're inside a machine art style. Right. Um, and then... So I feel like the shooting aspect and the real shooting maybe wasn't all his idea. Maybe he wanted to make like a music game. But it's like, oh, all these other members here, they know how to uh, make rail shooters. So, And I have a feeling that at this time too, uh, when you wanted like a low budget game to like have something to show or Sega did, you would mm-hmm. do a rail shooter. Like that's why Panzer Dragoon was a launch title because it was uh, they needed a game out that was 3D. And it was easy to create that you could get it out as soon as possible, obviously. So maybe that's why uh, they didn't advertise this that much. I think during the 2000s, I think we were getting to the point where people wanted more uh, control over their characters. Right. But yeah, yeah. But that, that's yeah. just my idea behind this. But yeah, it's, a, it's basically a real shooter with music aspects to it. Absolutely. And, you know, if you really want to control the story and what's happening, of course you're going to stick players on a rail. I mean, we've seen that even before video games, you know, like at Disney World or Disneyland and and parks around that era in like the 1950s, they were like, well, how can we entertain people and it's not a roller coaster, you know? And so they would still stick to that rail and they would have the story going on around that, but they had complete control of what they saw and what they experienced. And to move into gaming, we've seen that a lot with um, uh, Virtua Cop, House of the Dead, um, rail shooters again rail so in the in this case with this game i think because it's so tied to music and building to certain crescendos and portions of the songs that there's no other way you could have done this like i know you know modern gaming is all about uh open world but i am Mm -hmm. so sick of open world i want a developer to hold my hand and take me through their journey you know like i love that and i feel like it's lost on a lot of modern games and so that's something I really like about, you know, Panzer Dragoon games and Res, And I just, I like experiencing someone else's experience and still having some control, but not complete control. So I can get to these moments where I'm like, whoa, wow. And, and Res has so many of those moments, like moments that if I was just freely roaming around, I'd never get to that. You know, I'd never see that conduct connection. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, again, like this, this whole game is kind of heady. So there's a lot of just kind of game experience thoughts I'm having on this uh, right now. I don't know. I'll, I'll get back on track though. I'll get back on the rail. 
On the rail, yes. <laughs> this this game's development. So Mizuguchi, his previous works included AM3 Arcade Games, Sega Rally Championship, and Sega Touring Car Championship. And well, at UGA, he also created the Space Channel 5 games. So what's your opinion on Mizuguchi's other games? Um, okay, so I played a lot of Sega Rally Championship as a kid because it was one of those games that basically, well, the Sega Saturn version, basically kind of came with your Sega Saturn. Like, if you had a Sega Saturn, this is probably one of the easiest games to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played a lot of that, and I I mean, it's a car, it's a dirt racing, you know, uh, car game. It has, as you know, him as, a, as an artist, I think this is probably one of those games at the time when Sega was like, you need to make a car game. Like, um, I don't know if you saw that new documentary they talked to about the Dreamcast, and the guy from uh, Crazy Taxi was like, at this time, Sega wanted just racing games, so they were told them they told them do a game, but it has to have a car in it. Yeah. So he he came up with Crazy Taxi. So mm-hmm. I have so I have a feeling that that probably wasn't his ideal situation he wanted to make, but did it anyway, and he did a bang up job. But yeah, yeah Space Channel Five is more of you know what he's been you know coming to know as what he does. You know, like a basically a music game. He's basically a huge music nerd and he wants yeah. to do music games with uh with an emphasis on music. Like even his puzzle games have an emphasis on music. So mm-hmm. I would say that Space Channel 5 is when he got his freedom to do what he wants. And Sega Rally while it has great music, it's just it, I feel like it was just like uh you haven't proven yourself. You have to make a hit cart game and he did it. Yeah. Yeah, and you see that a lot from Sega developers. I mean I feel like Yu Suzuki's the only one who wanted to do a racing game, like he not racing, but like driving with Outrun. <laughs> and uh, whereas uh, Nagoshi and uh, Mizuguchi, they're working on stuff like Daytona and Sega Touring Car, and they understand the importance and how much people love those games. But I'll be honest, I don't think they really see them as personal projects. I think uh, Daytona USA is to Sega Rally Championship as Res is to Yakuza. You know what I mean? Like with that. Yeah much more personal connection in a game that they would have made. And it makes sense because they get further along in their careers. They have more say in what they get to do. And then they create the games that they really have been wanting to create. So it's, it's hard to look at stuff like uh, the Sega rally games and say, Oh, there's the connection to res. That makes sense. I mean, outside of being on a track, but that's, that's racing, like whatever it's, it's a rail. It's a track. I mean, they're both arcadey games. If you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Space Channel 5, though, I guess the only surprise I have is that it's the most cohesive, like, story with characters and a backstory and things like that. And everything else he's done that he's worked on is much more loose and heady and there is no real concrete plot. And I think part of that might come from the other people who have worked on the Space Channel 5 games. I feel like they're not as precious to him. And... I, I mean, I know he designed them and stuff, but I feel like just looking at the people who worked on it, you know, like the musicians and the director um, and even the writers, I feel like it was probably more personal for them or something that they really made their own. Not to say, not to discount his work on Space Channel 5, but it just, I don't know. I, I get yeah. that vibe. Because there's a VR game coming out for Space Channel 5 and it's, he's not going, oh, they're ruining my creation. He's probably like, whatever, it's not my character. Yeah, you know? I think so too, yeah. And it feels yeah. like, obviously, like, even she's, uh, Ula La's been in so much things that I'm pretty sure he's fine with it. Yeah. I, I don't think he cares. I think it's, he sees her as Sega's property and that's it. Um, so Res was developed under the working title of K Project and it 
took inspiration from Russian painter Kandinsky. Um, and uh, so Mizuguchi, he was really drawn in by this work of this Russian painter. Um, do you see that influence in looking at some of the work of Kandinsky? Um, and for people who maybe are listening to this on audio and you don't want to crash your car, Googling images, it's a lot of uh, shapes, shapes yeah, yeah, shapes, colors, lines. Yeah, How would you describe it? I feel like he kind of like you. Yeah, well, it's basic. It's basically low resolution graphics, right? Like wireframes and stuff, but mm-hmm. in in a style of like odd shapes around you. So I could see the influence. I mean, it's not like one to one influence. It's not like he tried to make it look like a water painting or anything like that, uh, or like an you know a piece of artwork, but. Right. You could tell that some of the shapes he probably was like, all right, I got to look at some paintings. And I could see them him becoming influenced by his paintings, but making it more low-resolution re- low wireframe graphics. And it worked out for the game it, personally, but yeah, uh, it looks great. And I, But I, I, could see, I could see it. I didn't know that, though, until after I saw it right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I didn't know he was influenced by him, but it makes sense. Yeah, and we'll actually get into more of Kandinsky down the line. It's uh, It's... Res is a patchwork of very strange influences, as we'll soon soon learn. Um, so unlike previous rail shooters, Res replaced traditional sound effects with music. Players would create music through their targeting and shooting of enemies, and this led to players experiencing synesthesia. And the definition is a condition in which one sense, for example hearing, is simultaneously perceived as if by one or more additional senses, such as sight. Another form of synesthesia joins objects such as letters, shapes, numbers, or people's names with a sensory perception such as smell, color, or flavor. And I think I've seen something like this, like on a talk show where this person's like, they, you tell them your, their name and then they tell you what they tasted in their mouth. And they're like, oh, Jonathan, that's a very chocolatey name, you know? Uh... Um, so there are people who are, they just like, they can, they just do it. And whereas this game was trying to get you to do it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think maybe kind of like um, uh, ASMR, you know what I mean? Yeah, Where like yeah. people will do that and they're like, I've never experienced this before, but I would feel things when they would speak. Um, I get the brain, t- the brain tingles. Uh, so let's be honest with ourselves. Did we experience synesthesia when we played the game? And what are our thoughts on the sights and sounds of Res? Um, well, okay, so there's been a few releases where you could, uh, I guess, have add-ons that kind of add to the simulation. Right. The, the closest, I, I mean, I, I did play it on the Xbox 360. I don't know if you played that version, but like, you could yeah. use multiple controls with the vibration to get the vibrating, basically trans-vibrator uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, I understand what they're trying to do. I, I would really want to play this in like huge speakers with like high quality sound and see if like you get that vibrating. You know when you go to a concert and they play the music really, really loud and then you get that bass tingle inside mm-hmm. your body? Like I want to see something like that. But no, I did not experience uh, synthesia. And, uh, but did you, Barry? I know you played this game a lot. It's one of your favorite games. I I didn't know, but going along with what I was saying with the like Disneyland kind of uh, theme theme park comparison, you know th- this game it's an attempt to make you 
if you don't feel synesthesia, it, it's a uh, simulation of synesthesia. And I think that plays in perfectly with the plot of the game, which again, we'll get into a little later, but um, it, it, it has the music, it has the visuals. Now with true synesthesia, you would just be seeing something without actually looking at the game. You would be hearing the music and seeing things. And obviously not everyone can do that. And so with this game, you hear the music and the visuals move along with it to the point where the it's not like the visuals are making the sounds and it's not like the visuals or the music or sounds are reacting to each other. They're one and the same. And so when you're playing the game and you hear the music and you're shooting the things, you'll realize that your, sh your actions are actually lining up with the music, but it's not cre it doesn't appear to be influencing the music, if that makes sense. It's almost like everything's happening at once. And that's when you get these little magic moments where you kind of feel uh, simulated synesthesia. Uh, at least that's what I think. <laughs> it's, uh, it's weird. It's yeah, weird. yeah, you're like explaining. You, you could do like a whole college course on, on synesthesia. You could. Yeah. You could. But I guess it's... I mean, you see movie theaters doing that. Sometimes they like pump in smells and stuff. And I'm, I'm sure there are people who could just sit back and watch a movie and just smell stuff. Uh, do they actually do they actually do that? I I have never been one that they put smells. Can you imagine like they do watching the Last Jedi and then it's like wow this planet really does stink like crap. <laughs> it's like it just smells like cow in there. That'd be weird. It just smells like salt. The whole room just salty. Oh, oh, I don't know. I'd is like that it. is that the fanboy tears when they cry on the internet? Yeah, that is. <laughs> uh, so, um, so here we go. A lot has been written about the development of Res, and being such a personal project of one man, there is a lot to cover. Now, I was reading a lot about this game, and I would just scroll, 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 and it kept going, and at the end of the story, it would go, and that's how he figured out to make wireframe graphics. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, did, did I need... And it, this game is... The story behind this game is like uh, that movie um, Slumdog Millionaire, where you sit there for 30 minutes and you're like, what is this leading to? And it's like, oh, that's how he knows the Queen of England's name. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, um, so, we'll, so I'm going to do my best to hit all the key moments, but try to keep it short. So Mizuguchi's early gaming experiences saw him drawn to games with momentum, driven by music and sound effects. In 1997, Mizuguchi was in Zurich watching a street parade at an electronic dance festival. The music combined with the sights and sounds reminded him of Kandinsky's work in that he painted sounds that he saw. So that's what Kandinsky's work was kind of all about. Kandinsky would paint sounds. And, I mean, it, it, that's res right there. That's res on canvas. And Mizuguchi combined these experiences at these music festivals with, with the art of Kandinsky to create what would become res. And Mizuguchi and his team, they visited Shibuya Clubs, which is where I believe... Um, so when Rez, Rez... When United Game Artists and Smilebit and all of these studios... Don't you remember they like kicked him out of Sega's offices and gave them their own little offices? Do you remember that? What are you talking about? <laughs> so when, when Sega created all of these smaller studios, they gave them their own workspaces outside yeah, yeah, yeah. of Sega. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that. it was really confusing to fans because we're like... Is Sega like firing all these guys and telling them to create their own company? But really, it was. I remember. Yeah, it, I remember stories coming out on magazines where it was like, 
is Sonic Team going to Nintendo because of mm. these kind of like team separations? And yeah. I remember reading stories about how maybe play- Sony's going to buy out studios from Sega. That freaked me out. When I was yeah. a kid, I was like, no. Because, I mean, if you're a Sega fan and you stuck with the Sega Saturn, uh, a, a big reason you did that was because of Sega's first party uh, teams. But yeah, Oh, yeah, for sure. And so I think the intent actually was to get them out of the Sega headquarters and out of their cubicles and really put these creatives together to create their own unique games. And so to give them their own workspaces separately, that would actually lead to stuff like, like for example, in this game, uh, they relocated to Shibuya, which was much more vibrant and colorful. There were clubs. So they visited Shibuya clubs. They went to drum festivals, apparently to research the game's development. But let's be honest, they were probably going to clubs and then saying they were researching, you know? Yeah. Uh, I wish we could do this watched... at work, you know, like going oh, to yeah, the bars. Yeah, no, exactly. If only we, if only we made a bunch. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, this was kind of crazy. So he actually watched videos of street bands, citing a specific video of a Kenyan band, which he said he watched a hundred thousand times. Have you seen anything a hundred thousand times? I mean. Maybe like a short clip, but this must have been a long video. I mean, you know, I saw like, maybe Ninja Turtles 2 100,000 times. Yeah. Oh, that's a, I mean, that's I probably a, that's have. a masterpiece, though. <laughs> it is. Um, so in, in this video, what really drawn, drawn him to it, or drawn him to it, was that the video started silent, and then it had a beat, dung, 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 and then instruments started to lay on top. So boom, 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 you know, and it would get louder and louder until a full song was playing and a small crowd built up to join the band and then they were all moving together. And so I want to talk about this because I feel like this video not only influenced Rez greatly, but also Space Channel 5. Though I have to wonder, because Rez came after Space Channel 5, part one, correct? Like, I think it, so, uh, yeah, as long as I remember, because um, wasn't Space Channel 5 a 1999 game? 99 or or late 99, yeah, it definitely was around there. So I, I find this interesting because this video really sounds like Space Channel 5, where it's like she's alone, and then people start joining her, and they go, la, 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 la. And there's even a track on the Space Channel 5 soundtrack of a single person singing, and then it builds up, and then it builds up. And so I have to wonder, like, is this a video he saw much earlier? It just seems like development-wise, it's like he's seeing something that influences Res, but also is basically Space Channel 5. So I have to call into question this story. I mean, you, just if, in terms, if you're yeah. seeing it 100,000 times, I mean, maybe he started watching it in 1995, and, he, and by the time it was 2001, he finally got 100,000 views on it. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't mean to, it's a cool it's a cool story, but I don't mean to poke holes in it. But it just seems kind of weird that he would watch a video that would basically be Space Channel Five. After, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but how do you think that ties into Res? What does that remind you of? Uh, I mean, the game is literally a beat right when you start. Right in the first level, it's like a dun, like, like yep. very low, and then you start hitting the things, and then you start noticing. Which, if you start, like, right when I first started playing it, I was like, oh, it makes sounds when you shoot. Oh, and I didn't know. And it makes it really obvious in the beginning. And then I started understanding, you know, the point of the game, you know, what he was trying to go for. Like, right away, 
He, you didn't have to say a word. And uh, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I, I guess what he experienced watching that video, he did a good enough job translating into res. Mm-hmm. I would say that I guess it worked out like he wanted. Yeah, it's, I mean, it it fits perfectly with Res and Space Channel 5. So if you're, you know, trying to find a connection between those two, I think that's really what it is, is this building up and then this kind of explosion of uh, music. It's just that Res is much more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, 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 uh, heady. It's the, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's in, on the tip of your tongue and you Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's like Kandinsky's work, like, if I could, if I heard jazz and I painted a picture of people playing instruments, that's one way to interpret it. But then when you hear hear music and then you just make all these shapes and colors, that's res. And yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so this is interesting. So typically we cite like old magazines, interviews, yada yada, wiki entries. But this is a rare case where Sega Talk is going to be referencing Segabit Swing and Report Show. And, uh, and we'll get into that. So basically, in 1998 at Burning Man, Mizuguchi experienced what he saw in the Kenyan video for himself as he walked towards... Oh, here we go, 98. So this was happening before Space Channel 5. Mm-hmm. So he saw this... So the work on Res was actually much earlier than 2001. It must have been 90, 97, 98. Yeah. Um, so you could almost consider Space Channel 5 as like a precursor to Res in that it was like him probably testing out a lot of things. Anyway, he was walking towards the lights and the music, and then he became a part of the crowd as he got there. And it is also said that Mizuguchi came up with the game's name at the event. And we heard the story firsthand from gaming journalist and friend of the show, and friend of Mizuguchi, <laughs> Simon Cox. And this is from our September 2013 episode. That's so long ago. Yeah, I know. Six we years so, ago. We, we were so young back then. I know. And this was the 50th episode of the Segabit Swing and Report Show. We were interviewing Francesca Reyes of the official Dreamcast Magazine as a writer. Simon Cox, the official Dreamcast Magazine editor-in-chief. And Ricardo Torres of uh, CNET Game Center and former GameSpot Editor-in-Chief. And this episode, if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. I think it's one of the best ones we did because it's the first and, to my knowledge, only time we assembled these people to talk, do do a... Uh, uh, what, what are those things they do at the gaming conventions? Like, 30 years later, let's talk about Streets of Rage with the developer. Yeah. And we were talking with the people behind Dreamcast Magazine. This is the first time they talked about the magazine since since it came out. And I'm sorry to like string this out, but not many people have listened to this and they really should because it's really good. So let's hear this story right now from Simon and Francesca and Ricardo. And I mean, those are just some of my favorite memories. And the other stuff was meeting Mizuguchi. Yeah. Like I absolutely, totally respect that guy. I mean, such an incredibly nice guy down to earth, but also Super smart and super creative. I mean, I think, you know, Simon would know more. Do you have a history, Simon, with Rez? Like, I've heard rumors <laughs> about this, and I always wanted to ask you, did you actually, I don't know if you want to out this, but, like, did you actually name that game or suggest the name for that game? Yeah, I named it. No. Yeah. 
<laughs> Tell us the freaking story. Don't just say yeah. <laughs> were you the were you the mocap for the wireframe dude too? That's right. That was me, Matt, <laughs> floating through space. Um, you know, so you know what? Um, I went over there with um, some some buddies from uh, Edge, and um, we went to Japan, and um, we knew Mizuguchi from Edge, so we were already friends with him. Uh, and in fact, we went to Burning Man with him um, in '99. <laughs> And I have an abiding memory of um, of one one night wondering where he'd got to and seeing these tiny little flashing lights coming towards me on the plier out of the dark. And uh, and as he walked up to me, I was like, oh, my God, it's Tetsuya. And he had these like little lights on his shoes. And every time he walked, they would flash. Anyway, that's just a by the by. But, but, but he was... <laughs> He he was he was really into dance music. Obviously, I mean you can tell from his from his from his work, you know, um, that he's a big fan of electronic music. And and so we went to Burning Man with him. We'd go clubbing with him in in Japan. And one night um, we we went to meet him before we went out. Um, actually, at uh, at UGA as it was then, and uh, he showed me this new game. And he showed myself and Jason Brooks, who was the ex editor in chief of Edge. Uh, he showed us this new game. And the music that was playing what, uh, for the level he showed us was a track by Underworld called Res. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I hope to get the license for this, but it's tricky. I'm trying. but I'm not sure if I can get the license for this track. And this track Res by Underworld is a phenomenal kind of dance anthem. Right. I mean, it's a kind of a it's kind of a seminal dance anthem in a, in a lot of ways, kind of like Moby's Go. And, um, and we were sitting there and, and, and I said, do you have a name for the game yet? And he's like, no. And I'm like, why don't you call it Res with a Z, like D-Res, like Resolution, Resed Up, like Tron, like, you know, kind of all of these things. And, and he said, oh, I really like that. Um, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, I was like, you can call it Res, man. That's a great idea. That'd be great. That'd be so cool. It was, it's our favorite track and you know and if you can get the sound if you can get the license for this track that would be amazing you know it would just be my head would come off when i'm playing this game you know and um yeah and he didn't get the license unfortunately for the for the track from uh, from underworld but he did keep the name res um which was cool so uh i'm somewhere in the credits i think somewhere but that's my little that's my little, my little to fame yeah right oh, wow <laughs> That's a yeah. great claim to fame, though, you know, because that's a total cred, but cred. It's a cred. Booster. That's true. It gets me some cred points, which I get a T-shirt made. It's not real unless it's on a T-shirt. That's true. <laughs> yeah. it's, I desperately need those cred points, so I'll take them. <laughs> right. yeah. You'll get cred points with forty-year-old dudes. <laughs> <drink>. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, having heard that, George, and hearing ourselves with our little little boy voices back then. <laughs> <laughs> our audio quality got better i'll say that yeah absolutely what do you think about that story i mean i remember when we heard it i was a little imp- i was like okay so like okay how crazy was probably burning man in 98 that it ex- inspired one of the you know one of your favorite games um yeah i i mean uh i, I mean i don't even know what to say like I've never been to Burning Man, but now, like, when I heard him say that story, I was like, yeah. you know, maybe it's something you have to experience when you're there. And sometimes yeah. when I always hear these things where, oh, I went to this event and we were feeling this way and I got this great idea, this epiphany. And I heard people, we've heard people, we, we talked about them on the Swinger Report show, well, how mm-hmm. they get epiphanies, right? Uh, I think it was, uh, it's funny because the guy from Toe Jam and Earl and I think 
something I read about Yuzuzuki. They both get them when they dream. They wake up and they get an epiphany and they write it down. Um, mm-hmm. This is the. I, I, have you ever? I mean, have you ever had a great idea at a musical convention? Because to me, I'm like, oh, what's that? Or what's this? Oh, the music. And I, <laughs> I never think about anything. So to me, the idea of being in this event with so many people and yeah. still thinking about work. That's so Japanese. That's the most Japanese thing I ever heard. But that's my For take sure. on the story. But what's your take on the story? Mine's totally. Different. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was fascinating at the time, um, and it, it. I mean, it totally fits. I know they're good friends. I also know we uh, interviewed James Milkey, mm-hmm. who worked uh, with Q Entertainment on Child of Eden. So it's it kind of fascinates me that. Without even trying, uh, you know, I mean, we got them on the show, but it wasn't the intent to talk about Rez. But Mizuguchi, he has like all of these connections to people. And he just seems like a guy who is not sitting behind his computer making the latest game. He's out there talking to people, making connections. And it makes total sense looking at his games, especially Child of Eden. And even, you know, the plot of Rez where it's it's about more than just your standard video game fare. It's a lot larger it's about communities people interactions the ways that we see and hear things and from the sound of all the people who have met him and and gotten to know him he seems like a real personal guy personable guy which is something i feel we don't see much from japanese developers i think we don't see that from developers period like not not even in the west like how, yeah. Can you name in the last like twenty? I mean, not twenty years, but like five years, the biggest hit games like the new Spider-Man game. Can you name the guy that directed it? Can you name the guy uh, that produced it? Like no. <laughs> so like they, I think we're getting to a point in in um, video games where they're like a multi-billion-dollar industry where they don't want you to get too attached to a name because once they become superstars, you have to pay these people, and mm-hmm. and most of them would and rather. We saw that- yeah, I yeah. mean, most of them rather like Hideo Kojima just go and start yep. their own studio when they get bullied around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't want that yep. because it, it, there's no negotiation with superstars. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that's a really cool story, and I don't think many people have listened to the show. People have, they but have. I feel like it should be like a million people and not what it is uh, we yeah i know there's some <laughs> some content where i'm like so this guy's playing minecraft and yelling really loud on the microphone and it got 20 million views how does this happen right. it is what right it is. and yet we were the guys that interviewed the creator of uh Floygen brothers and the voice of bubsy and no one has talked to him for 20 years and we're talking to him yeah and and, and we get like five thousand people but that's i like doing that i'd rather do that than play play minecraft <laughs> So, um, but we are so going to be playing Minecraft soon, so guys, so. we will actually. That's the next episode. Um, so, uh, you're we're getting to your favorite part and my favorite part, and we're going to make some admissions here. So, Res is famous or perhaps infamous for the trance vibrator. In an effort to enhance synesthesia, Mizuguchi had several experience experiments, including a proposed arcade version with a chair in which. Parts of the chair would vibrate around the player. Um, that didn't happen. And the PS2 version, he wanted the dual shock for haptic feedback, but he found the shaking to be too weak. He ended up working with ASC2 to create, or ASCII, to, inc- to create a USB-powered haptic feedback device that you could hold, put in your pocket, 
or sit on. And the device was suggested to be a sex toy by fans in the gaming media. And to be fair, Sega never said it wasn't. So did you ever experience the trance vibrator? And did you ever watch one of those videos? And you know which ones I'm talking about. I, I did watch the videos. I mean, we were like... At this time, we, we weren't... <laughs> We're teenage. I mean, yeah. yeah, we like, what do you think we're going to do? Like, we could have been doing a lot worse thing than watching video game accessory porn. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've never experienced it myself. I, I played the game because of the stories that came out of this. So mm-hmm. good job marketing. Good job uh, video game. And I'm pretty sure that the video game sites, and this was in there. It's so funny how a video game news or journalism has changed so much. I remember... In the early 2000s to mid-2000s, it was all about, like, trying to make sexy stories because, like, uh, gamers would click on them. And they were kind of, like, borderline, I guess, sexist, some of these stories. Like, like, they're they're basically trying to get teenage boys to click on them because they assume that's the highest... I mean, that's what gaming was. And I'm assuming me and your generation... Our generation is the first, I guess, we grew up our whole lives with video games. Yeah. Um, so I could see why they were aiming like that. And I remember the stories of this, but I understand what Misaguchi was trying to emulate. Like I told you, when you go to the concert and you get that really loud bass, there's some bands that mm-hmm. literally just make noise so they could, uh, and to get that effect on in your body, right? right? So, <laughs> well, yeah, and you can get it in your body, you know. <laughs> well, uh. th- I've never used a res vibrator or trans vibrator. And, that's another weird name for the project now, like Trans Vibrator. It would be like, yeah, is it, can right. I use it? Or is this like, is this for just trans people or is this for everybody? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I see. No, so trans, I'm just saying, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just weird. I never even thought about that back then. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. But what I you, remember, I remember hearing about it. I remember reading the stories. I never experienced one. But I've always been looking out for them on eBay. And every time I see them, I'm like, nah, like... They're, I feel like they've never dropped below like 40 to 60 bucks. Like they've always been in that price range where they're the price of a game. And you get the game, but it's the Japanese version for PS2, which you can't really play yourself. Plus the PS2 version is in America, so what's the point in importing it? So at the end of the day, I mean, it's... I mean, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I did watch the videos, but let's be honest, they weren't like that scandalous. I think if I remember the popular one... She, she was fully closed. She put it down there and then just played the game. Yeah. Like, there was no reacting. There, She wasn't, like, playing for the camera. Um, now, and we talked about this offline, but there, of all, like, the dirty Sega videos I've watched, everything comes back to Mizuguchi because there is that uh, Space Channel 5 porn parody, yeah. Cosplay International, which um, I am not sad to admit that I watched the Space Channel 5 part. It's honestly, it's like watching a Filthy Frank video that turns into a porn. Yeah, it's one of those like, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's why does this exist? All right. He wears a, a silver, this little Japanese man's wearing a silver suit and you can just see his face. And like like the green, like the, uh, the green man or whatever that is that he, yeah. Filthy Frank plays. And it's so funny that now uh, companies want pornography of their characters because like, Overwatch literally sold on just its porn parodies and people bought the game for some reason. Wow. And so 
other games, I forgot what it was. It was the guys that made Borderland. They had another game that was trying to copy uh, uh, Overwatch. And the mm. company, the publisher, made their own subreddit so people could post, like, porn of the characters. And nobody did. It just came off as lame. So this is pretty ahead of its time, I guess, in marketing-wise. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, good for them. Uh, moving on. So the gameplay appeared simple. But a lot of development went into making everything seem just right. So players would fly through a stage and encounter enemies. Oh, this is the gameplay. We're finally getting into it. (laughs) Finally. Uh, And they would paint enemies with the reticule, which is the little targeting scope. And even firing off beat. So if it was like, doom, doom, and you went, doom, shoot, doom. It appeared as though your shots were on beat. And this is a mechanic called quantizing. And this quantization went on to be used in later games that Mizuguchi worked on, including Lum- Luminous. Yeah. I always called it Lumines. And Child of Eden. I think it's Luminous, though. I think um, it is, yeah. Yeah, I, I called it Luminous, like... too. And then for, I, for, I think I saw some review online, and it was Luminous. Was, that makes sense because it's about turning on the lights, basically, in, in the game. Right? Luminous. Luminous. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm learning so much today. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we can kind of get into quantiza- quantization. I read about it. It doesn't really make much sense to me. My guess is, though, that it says here the you know a bunch of technical music jargon but they say the process results in notes being set on beats and on exact fractions of beats so if you are off beat when you push the button the sound i think the shot still goes off when you push the button but the sound locks on to that half beat or that quarter beat so it'll be like doom 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 dink doom doom dink dink doom you know so it sounds like you're doing it even though you're just pushing the button yeah um and it's it's smart i mean it's something that people don't really notice and i think they feel like they actually are on beat and then they start playing on beat it trains them to actually just do that um so i think i think that's cool uh we, we don't have to discuss it anymore. You think it's cool? I think uh, it's cool. I think, I think it's cool. I, I, I noticed when I played the games about that. like, But I didn't know how to like explain it. It's kind of weird. Yeah. 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 And, and when you paint paint over them, it's like... You know? And yeah. so it, it, it does adjust a little to the music, but I don't think it breaks the gameplay. I think you're still shooting when you're shooting, which I think is really cool. So the audio... It's cool. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, (laughs) So the game's visuals, they transformed over time. The original idea was a living Kandinsky painting. And later he considered hip-hop culture and was actually inspired by the aesthetics of the the band Gorillaz with a Z. Interesting that Rez has a Z. Yeah. And um, he also considered the history of life and evolution. The avatar for the game changed from a spaceship to a woman running to a race car. And thanks to Katsumi Yokota of Panzer Dragoon fame and Tekken Concrete. Have you seen that, the anime movie? No, I've never seen it, no. Yeah, like again, this, like Gorillas, I was really into as a kid. Tekken, Tekken Concrete was one of those early 
animes that I picked the Blu-ray or the DVD up for. It's good. You should check it out. It's very, um, it reminds me of Jet Set Radio, actually. And the music's really awesome. But um, the, the visual style of those games and, and media uh, came from Katsumi. And that's where the game's visual style came together. So thanks to, you know, uh, someone assisting him with the, with the visuals and the graphics, there was a focus on darkness, darkness and the individual moving into light and community. And the concept of evolution was also included through the use of primitive oceanic forms, which I think actually were a lot of the enemies. Um, so what are your opinions on these early ideas and what we got? Well, <clears throat> gorillas, I mean, visually, I, I would actually love to see like a cartoon like gorillas, uh, rail shooter uh, rhythm game. I think it would be f- yeah. freaking cool. I really like the gorillas like anime style. And I was looking at this, what's it called? Tekken Crete? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, you, it looks like gorillas sort of. I mean, it has its own art style. But uh, as for it changing from a spaceship, spaceship makes sense. Uh, what we got was basically a flying AI, and then when you talked about evolution, it totally makes sense that it's you're basically in a machine, and the machine is well becoming sentient or something, right? Is that the mm-hmm. yeah? So all this makes sense, and he did uh, use aspects of it and and gave it his own twist. As I would love to for it to be like a painting. I always wanted to see a game that's like a watercolor painting. But I feel mm-hmm. like the Dreamcast probably was not the best console for that. And I'm pretty sure that's why the graphics changed to like wireframes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, have you ever seen a game that looks like a painting come to life? Like, I'm trying to think. I, I, mean, I understand we have like 2D games where like even say, I mean, oh, I'm trying to think of the game like um, um, Dragon. Oh, no. the, what's like the, the studio that's owned by Atlas or Vanillaware that does all those like. Like Okami? Odin Spear and even Okami. Oh, Okami's probably the closest one, to be honest with you. Yeah. But it's like cell shaded. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Okami, maybe a little bit. But yeah, I can't really think of many. I'm sure there's some more artsy games out there. And maybe even ones we're not thinking of that are actually like people are screaming at their. Uh, <laughs> Cuphead? I mean, their... it's 1920s, yeah. but it's not a painting. So yeah. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, something I thought was interesting was that they never really nailed down a main character, and I still think they didn't, because as you, as you know, the game, you um, evolve into all these different avatars. And so, like, the cover of the American release for PS2 has the silver guy. The cover of the Japanese cover has actually the thing you shoot, so it doesn't have the main character on the cover. And on the back, it actually shows the the circle and the guy and the other version of the guy, and the third version of the guy, and then the, like, disco ball, and then the, like, crazy final form. And then I think there's a baby, too, right? Yeah, and I was going to tell you, yeah. um, like, I remember looking at the cover of the game, and I don't know if you had this, because there's different covers, but, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't look interesting, the game. When you look at it, you're like, oh, okay, cool. If you didn't know anything about the game, and you went in the store, and you saw it as a kid or a yeah. teenager, you'd be like, should I get this game, or this really cool looking Jet Set Radio game or Crazy Taxi or House of the Dead 2 or Virtual Fighter. Yeah, and that one is just shapes. It's like, oh, okay. If you don't know anything about it, it's weird, right? I don't think Rez actually ever had a really good cover. No. Maybe the PS4 version, but then that was kind of ruined by all the boxes telling you 
to buy VR yeah. headsets. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so um, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Let's get into the story. So the story of Res is hard to put into words. If you've played the game, you probably have your own interpretation. So very quickly, just spit out what you thought the story was. I just thought it was a sentient being, and you're playing as it, and as the challenges come at you, you're you're uh, basically breaking out of a uh, controlled man-made system. Kind of like I don't know if you watched um, Westworld. That's kind of what I thought it was trying to convey. Yeah. Maybe I'm 100 wrong. I didn't really read too much into it that's just what i assumed it was maybe i'm uh, wrong on this one i i saw it as you logging into a computer and you were taking out the like bad the bugs and stuff so, kind of like the the show reboot so yeah you're you like know? a uh, virus scan computer uh virus scanner kind of yeah thing. and then things start to become self-aware that's how i saw it mm. um but the actual plot so here's what the actual plot was so the game is set in a futuristic computer super network called the K Project. So there's the uh, original name for the game, the working title, with Kandinsky finding his way in there, um, where much of the data flow is controlled by an AI named Eden. Eden has become overwhelmed with the amount of knowledge gathered on the network after a virus infects her, causing her to doubt her existence and enter a shutdown sequence, which would create a catastrophic problem everywhere she would be able to this is a little weird. I copy-pasted it. Sorry. Which, uh, catastrophic problems everywhere should she be able to complete this. The player plays the protagonist Virus. Swayzek. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, Swayze, like Patrick Swayze. Yeah. The same that infected Eden earlier, invading Eden's mainframe and battling the mainframe's defense system to reveal the true being at Eden's core. Whoa. Now, if you thought Super Monkey Ball's plot was weird, <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we could go on forever. I don't want to break this thing down. It's, it is what it is. I get it, I guess. <laughs> um, but the big thing is, is that Mizuguchi has said that the ending of the game and the message, Who Am I?, is a realization that the player is not a hacker, but a sperm, and that Rez is the story of conception set against an AI backdrop. So we were sperm the whole time. We were sperm the whole time, man. Playing Res, playing Seaman, man. <laughs> is this a, is this a tie-in to a Seaman? Were you also playing it's sperm? The, it's the prequel. Ah, oh. can't wait to do a Seaman episode. By the way, we're gonna. I know, me too. <laughs> I was just That's thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So, what are my thoughts? What are you, yeah, um, yeah. I don't even know what to say, dude. Like, it was so weird. Like, there's other games where I'm like, I played them growing up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was cool. And then we come back and we talk about the story, and we're like, wait, wait, what? 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 Yeah. I didn't get that at all. Um, the one yeah. that, that was like that was Virtual Fighter, which we covered in the Sega Talk episode, and it was like mm-hmm. federal, Japanese. It was like some weird, like, underground people and like all these, like, um, I didn't get that at all. You, sorry, I just played the game because it had cool fighting guys in it. Right. This one had it was for the music, obviously the cool visuals. Not story, yeah. obviously. There's a reason I think they didn't put an emphasis on it, but... It is kind of, if you want to look into it and you want to be deep, there is some deepness there. So what's your thoughts on this? I, I mean, that's that's kind of, I, I get it. 
I see the connections. That's kind of clever. That I think that's the whole point. That's why when I was reading through the plot, I just kind of didn't really care what I was saying. Because I think in the end, the whole notion of the, the mainframe and you were the virus and this and that, it was all kind of a cover for this whole story of conception set against an AI backdrop. And when you when you see that, it was like, the the thing going in and infecting it, but then becoming a part of it. That's like the, the the sperm going in and inseminating the egg, and then it suddenly becomes a part of the womb. And then the computer mainframe is the mother, and the virus was originally a virus is now a child. So you know, and then the the game Child of Eden. That's the sperm. That's the baby. That's actually now that game makes a lot more sense now. That actually, that yeah, doesn't thinking, it? Yeah, it does. I was like. Even the name makes sense, right? Child of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. And so Child of Eden really Eden is the network which is res in within res the game and the child is you. You're the child. You were the sperm in res and now you're the child of Eden. So, there you go. Uh <laughs> let's talk about the music. So, the music um you know, it's been really prevalent throughout this whole discussion. But I thought we'd dig into it a little bit more. So from the start, Rez's concept was using music to draw players into the game. Several genres were considered, and the idea was to find one that would evoke primal responses and synesthesia. And in the end, techno and electronic dance music was decided on because of the digital nature allowing the team to isolate sounds and alter timing, as we've discussed earlier in Chapter 1 of our discussion of Rez. When we discuss quantization, and if you open your textbooks to page three hundred and ninety-four, I was going to say, am I supposed to be studying this? Yeah, if you open your textbooks to three ninety-four, um, no. So uh, I, I I asked if we thought any other music could work. I don't think it could. No, I think this makes sense. Like, um, think about it. Like, can you imagine heavy metal music or anything? No, 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 no. So <laughs> I, I think it's smart. And um, the team's musician named EBZ used placeholders by Fatboy Slim and Underworld, while music coordinator Masakazu Hiroishi set up meetings with Mizuguchi and European techno artists including Cold Cut, Adam Freeland, and Aphex Twin. And it took months to match the music to the stages and visuals. Often the music would alter the visuals and the visuals would alter the music. In the end... What are our favorite music tracks of Res, and would we listen to Res outside of the game as a soundtrack? Well, I'll let you start this one because I mean, I mean, there's a different, isn't there a different soundtrack for Infinite? Like, didn't they add music to it too? I think they might have had one new track for the new area, but all in all, it was the same um, soundtrack. Okay. I really liked the Adam Freeland track. Um, for the last stage, Area 5, um, it's uh, Fear. Okay, okay. And uh, Fear is the Mind Killer. I think And I think that's a, uh-huh. a really popular track, right? I mean, like, all said, right? right? Like, the Butterfly Effect is another one I think I always hear. And uh, Singularity, mm. I'm trying to remember. Uh, X, I think, or Y? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah those are, like, I pretty... I mean, go on, sorry. No, no, no. I, I was just saying um, that uh, Fear, Fear the Mind Killer remix 
you can listen to the MP3 of it, but it's actually not like the game version because they cut up the music and made it work for the level. As we said, the level would influence the music. Music would influence the level. So it wasn't beneath them to go in and uh, cut these tracks up and make them work. So if you actually listen to the soundtrack of this, it's not going to seem the same as what you remember from the game, which is why fans actually went out and have made remixes and we actually have one hosted on our site. I think the MP3 is still there. It is, yeah. Um, from 2015, a fan recreated the unreleased res edit of fan Adam Freeland's Fear. Yeah. That's a lot of words. And I this, this song is really important to me. And this game really came together as one of my favorites because of Area 5. I mean, playing through it, I thought there were a lot of cool moments. But there's this part where you're going and this the music's, you know, it's like that dun, dun, you know, that beat. And then it starts building and then there's this crescendo and you go into space and you're looking down on space. And then all of these things are coming in and like attacking the planet or going into them. And throughout this entire game, you're in a little computer simulation. And all of a sudden, I've never experienced this in a game before. I was brought to this massive level of flying into outer space and looking down on it and the music and the visuals just work together so well that it's a very i think i i don't know if i experienced synesthesia but i got the tingles you know what i mean like i got these i got this and i usually don't get so like emote like talking about my emotions with games like this i don't think maybe i do but in this case this was when this is a very distinct memory i have of playing a game a video game and feeling something so strong from a specific moment that's not like a character dying or something like that. Like, I don't care when characters die oh. in video games, to be honest. But, like, this, just, like, this moment, this crescendo of music and the visuals, it just did something to me. And um, and I still experience that when I play the game, but I kind of have to earn it. Yeah. Like, I have to play through the whole game to get to it. I can't just jump in or watch a playthrough. It doesn't really do it. You know... I mean, as the music, I mean, you basically beat me. I mean, you had a tingling moment. I I don't really get tingling moments as much as other people. Like you said, I think it depends on the aspect. There's some games where you play it and I'm like, oh, that, that was a good game. That was a good game. And then I come back to the game later and then I play it and I remember the day I played it. Like, um, I remember like playing Super Mario World when I had chicken pox, like that. Like, that's what I remember, like the times. Um, this game is one of those weird games where uh, I played it. I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool rail shooter. It isn't my favorite rail shooter. And I think it's gotten way more popular. I do think the soundtrack is what makes the game, as we spoke about this in uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for this music, I don't think the game would have been that popular. I think there's a, there's like a fan base of people. And one of the questions you asked was, would I listen to this without the game? And like... Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, there's. I'm not a big electronic fan like you are, and I'm probably. If I asked you right now, Barry, <laughs> would you listen to this solo? You probably say I already listened to it. I don't need permission. Yeah, I already. Uh, but, yeah. I already listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's like some, you know, some very strange tracks. Like, I remember some that like titles that stuck up to me is like "Rock is Sponge." <laughs> uh, it's very like Japanese. Um, just like. I think the visuals with the soundtrack really do make a big difference for the thing and how you interact with the game with the music playing in the background. Right. 
and when you listen to it solo, it works. So yeah. it's kind of this weird effect where you're like, I didn't think it was going to work solo. And then you actually listen to the soundtrack. You're like, actually, it did work pretty well, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I give this game a lot of props. And, you know, I'm kind of a, a not a, oh, I am kind of ashamed. I have not bought the vinyl version of this yet. And you could buy it on, um, I forget what site they teamed up with. It's like, it's I not am, a limited run games. Version. No, it's, it's like, I am what is it called? I am 8-Bit. There you go. Even though the game's not 8-Bit. But yeah. let's, let's go uh, message them on Twitter and make fun of it. But, yeah, um, we should. Yeah, um, but yeah, they do cost, it costs pretty, I think it's like 60 bucks or 40 or something. Mm. But uh, yeah, I need to pick that up. I'm probably going to pick it up soon because I don't have it. And I have like a lot of Sega soundtracks on vinyl. Yeah. It has to be added into it. It would sound I great. About it. I think it would. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think you're right. Like this this game without the visuals and music and concept behind it. People don't really talk about like, oh, the enemy wave patterns and state because I've seen people who, you know, play shmups and even uh, yeah. rail shooters and they'll gush over the uh, the gameplay and, and the enemy patterns and, and this and that. And I, I can't really connect with them on that. I, I understand what they're going for, but it's not my thing. But um, I never hear people really talk about this game like that. Not even Panzer Dragoon, really. People aren't like, oh, yeah, the, the stage progression and enemy enemy waves and the uh, leveling system and the uh, weapons. You hear that a lot with Orta, um, yeah, which I yeah. think not only is a beautiful game, but also is a great rail shooter. I think this game, it's, it is a really good rail shooter, but it's not it's not like, I don't know. It, it's it's not that crazy. Like the enemies aren't that varied. Um, yeah, to me, yeah. Like when you when you're saying this, it's like um, the way I could describe it is um, Misaguchi was at a point in his life where he wanted to make games for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have these like hardcore, like oh man, that game was hard. Like I don't feel like Res was hard. I feel like anybody could enjoy it. Like you could be a electronic music fan and just play for the sound or yeah. you could be oh i like real shooters so i'm playing this after a hard day at work right to uh relax that's right. what he's trying to make relaxing games even space channel 5 it was uh, aimed at pop stars like they're trying to make ooh la la pop star they're trying to like push it to uh women that would not play games usually mm-hmm. so uh, he was doing i guess he was the out of the box save creator where he was trying to reach an aud- a mainstream audience that like Nintendo wants to reach nowadays. Oh, absolutely. I agree totally. Yeah. yeah. Um and let's complete his journey, shall we? So Res was unveiled on June 26, 2001. So actually that's pretty close to the date we're recording now. What was that? 2 weeks ago. Um Yeah. And uh, at a Sony event. So despite the game releasing to Dreamcast and PS2 in Japan, Mizuguchi wanted to focus on the PS2 because he felt a lack of support for Res, probably on the Sega side, <laughs> on the Dreamcast side. Um, and so he felt like he needed to lean more on Sony and the PlayStation 2 version to get more support for the game. And his presentation had him with newly bleached hair playing the game and not saying a word. He wanted the game to speak for itself. And Sega and Sony executives at this event loved what they saw with uh, the Sony Computer Entertainment Chairman and former Sony Music President Shigio Maruyama suggesting that Rez would not only make, but change history for music and games. Sega and Sony worked together to develop marketing for the game, 
and both the PS2 and Dreamcast versions released on November 22, 2001. And it was brought to my attention that the Japanese ads for this are very weird, and they are. It has like two men with their shirts off with vibrating oh, sounds, yes. and a oh, guy, yes. yeah, a guy in a bathroom, um, pounding on the wall, and then he gets on beat with the person pounding on the wall, and they start doing this like res music, and they punch holes through it. So it's a lot of like naked men looking at each other, uh, and the tagline is "Open New Sense." So. Yeah. That would have sold copies right there. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so I just I, I wanted us to briefly discuss Mizuguchi's journey. I know in the planning for this, you kind of likened him to Yu Suzuki, and so yeah. I wanted you to kind of expand on your thoughts on that. Why would you say that? Why? Why? How dare you? Because I mean, I'm not saying that he's uh, has the <laughs> long career at Sega of Misuju- um like Misu- uh, like Yu Suzuki. Yu Suzuki has like he started in '86 and he went all the way to like 2002. And every couple of years, at least, he had a international hit on in arcades. Right. Uh, Misaguchi was different. He was more of a, like a well, all right, let's give him um, a couple million dollars or a million dollars, and then he pulls out this project that's small simple minimalistic but it has a um goal in mind mm-hmm. and it's a very i guess it's a marketable i think space channel 5 was more marketable than this game um because this game like he said oh i'm just gonna play it and you should know what it is and i feel like to sell res to somebody you have to experience it right um because selling it there's no main character like they could have easily changed the whole game and put like an anime girl and probably sold way more copies and tie it into some franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did and they stripped it down. It's minimalistic. I feel like he's a... I don't know. It's it's so weird. It, it kind of reminds me too of Yuji Naka Yeah. at this time period where he was taking lead on like Choo Choo Rocket, all these minimal, low-budget games. They remind me of like modern indie games where they're like trying to be more deep right? with simplistic gameplay over it. So yeah, that he just reminds me of Yuzuzuki because of you know he was basically a rock star at the time. That's why. Too. That makes sense. No, I I totally buy that. I was giving you a hard time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's interesting though. He was only with Sega for thirteen years, and you look at his um, trajectory, and you compare that to Yuzuzuki, who, I mean, it, it's not to say, but Yuzuzuki was there for like twenty. I mean, he's still there technically, but he was there all our lives basically when we were born. <laughs> up until yeah um and he's still in an advisor role um it's interesting though because you look at yusuzuki yuji naka and mizuguchi and all three of them have essentially left sega formed their own studios to varying degrees of success i'd say mizuguchi i think q entertainment has actually been the most successful Six, of all of them yeah. i think prope obviously that's kind of done that's gone <laughs> Um, I yeah, think it still exists, gone. but it's a one-man business. Uh, Usenet, Yusuzuki's thing. Um, that's it's around. Stri- it's around. It's. I mean, Shenmue Three is a yeah. YSNet game, but it was a lot of mobile games. Um, I think only like two or three games actually came out of his whole thing there, and they were all Shenmue related. Um, so yeah, I'd say Mizuguchi, despite Q Entertainment folding um, in 2014. Or at least he left it. I don't know if Q Entertainment's around anymore. 
I, feel I, like. I think uh, I think the last time I heard is that they sold it to a Chinese company or mm. something, and they were gonna make a mobile game, and then he came out on Twitter and said, "I have nothing to do with this mobile game." Uh, I I think he's like he left the company, mm-hmm. and I think he's part of Enhanced Games now. I think where right. he, they're they're doing Res, and they did the new I think Luminous. Yeah, and enhances Switch. enhances his company, so that's kind of like his probe or his yes YSnet. And it's um, funny because I feel like Enhanced already is more popular than Probe ever was. Like, oh yeah, uh, because they tried to do that uh, whole like let's play or let's dance or what was it? Let's, let's tap. tap. There you go. And uh, it was all right. It was a cool concept, but like I don't know, it just didn't hit. Like I feel like Luminous is probably the biggest game made by a creator at Sega that left when they mm-hmm. went third party. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, despite the uh, game's success, there was never a true sequel, probably because he left Sega in twenty third or two thousand three. Um, but Mizuguchi did create the spiritual successor called Child of Eden through his own company, and Res saw re-releases with Res HD and Res Infinite. Now, I did say spiritual successor, but looking back, I feel like it probably is just a straight up sequel because he does yeah. own the rights to Res. It's just not called Res Two. Um, so there's that. But uh, two thousand. Mm-hmm. He could have called it. Uh, he could have called it uh, Res Two High Res. High Res, Low Res, yeah. Res Squared. Yeah. Uh, in t- 2007, Res HD saw Mizuguchi getting the license back from Sega for a Xbox Live Arcade HD remake, and the game saw a physical release bundled with Luminous and E4, uh, and the release was called Cubed, and it was kind of a Q Entertainment compilation. And it was published by Atari of all studios. And, I did not uh, you, know this thing existed. I have to buy it now. After it's good. This. Like I have it. I'm holding it. I'm holding it up. And it's You're um. Showing I it mean, off. it's it's nice. I mean, it's it's a great compilation of his work. Has Luminous Live, Every Extend, Extra Extreme, and Res HD. So it's kind of like the final versions of these. Um, well worth getting, especially if you like your uh, games physical like I do. And then yeah. um, moving on, Res Infinite was far more ambitious. It released to the PS4, PSVR, Windows, and Android. And this version runs in 1080p and features a new level called Area X, which offered a 360-degree shooting and free movement. And Infinite is intended to be a VR game first and foremost, but a VR headset is not mandatory. Which kind of reminds me of, um, what was it, Child of Eden. Because that was really being yeah. pushed as a Connect title and a PS Move title. And then they're like, but you don't need to play it with those. And it's like, well, we don't want to play it with those. We want to play it with the controller, just like Res. Um, and so I think they kind of got smart with Res Infinite. It's still uh, an amazing VR experience from what I've heard. Um, you, there's like a full bodysuit version or something like that. But it still gives you the base experience. Um, so um, yeah, I've I have a PlayStation VR, and um, th- w- one of the demos that came when I bought it was Res was in it, which is kind of odd. Because hmm. um, you know, I mean, you think that Sony has their own things to push. Yeah. Um, and every single time I put, because I, I, it's the level where the boss is that thing that runs, and oh. then he runs ahead of you and behind you. Yeah, and then there's a point where everybody, when they put on the headset, they they're like, "Oh, in behind me!" And I'm like, "Turn around!" And they have, to, and they turn around 360, and they're like, "Oh my god, you can see behind you!" That amazes people in the, in the <laughs> game. So, 
I always see them all shocked, like, oh my god, you can see all the way around you, like you, you know, just turning around. <laughs> but yeah, this game is perfect for that effect, for sure. That's funny. Yeah, I've got to try that. It, the The Wikipedia entry for Res Infinite was like, it's it's seen as the best PSVR game. And I'm like, where's your uh, source for that? I mean, I'm, I don't doubt it, but it's just kind of funny. Um, it really tells you the state of VR where, like... It's an add-on, so nobody really wants to put too much money into it. Right, and right. Then, and then the ones that do, you're like, oh, this is a good... It's a good game. It's an old game. It's a good game. Right. But it's the best one on VR, so it's the best, basically. It's like... Kind of like Connect. You had Connect, right? You played yeah. a game where you're like, this is pretty good. It's a little janky, but it's the best on on Connect, so I suggest you play it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I feel like with a lot of gamers and their their like uh, Is that I don't know accessories, it has to be like a hundred percent perfect, or they just throw it out the window and shit on it. And yeah. it's unfortunate because I do think there are some really fantastic Connect games, mainly by Sega people. I'll be honest, um, and people just don't give it a chance because they're like, oh Connect it sucks, Ugh. and I'm like, well, it's not taking over. And now no. it's it's dead, so you can go back and and enjoy the games without being afraid that Connect's going to take over your uh, your life, your world. Your, your world. I don't want to. I don't want to get up when I'm playing games. Exactly. My knees hurt. <laughs> I can't get up. Um, uh, so yeah, but Res Infinite was um, developed under a one man studio, so that's what Enhanced Game is. It's just him, and everything else really? was outsourced. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, so. It's kind of funny that you could you could actually do that now. Yeah. Because like Shimmy Three, uh, remember they did all those Kickstarter updates where they're outsourcing it, and I never really thought about that. But like, has to be it has to be a lot easier to come up with concepts and have other people do your ideas nowadays, right? Oh, for sure. Just I mean, it. and there's nothing wrong with. It. I mean, Sonic Mania was really just a bunch of different outsourced. people. None of them were Sega employees. None of them were really on their own team. Now they are. Um, yeah. But that's it, it, interesting. It's I mean it's it's a great way to do it, do things if I'm honest because then you can get the best people and they're not committed for like another ten years to work at your studio. Um, yeah. At the same time, you lose people because they go their separate ways and it's hard to get them back for a sequel. Um, but it's interesting. The so the advances in VR was actually what brought Mizuguchi back to gaming, and between his time uh, with I think Res HD and now. He was actually working on mobile games and working as a teacher. So, oh my god, can you imagine being a Japanese student and having him as a teacher? He just walks out with electronic music blaring <laughs> and dude. his white hair, and he just starts going. Doo, doo, Talks about his doo, days at Burning Man when doo. he smokes a cigarette indoors. Because yeah, sure, he smokes uh, one of those funny cigarettes that make people goofy. Um, yeah. Marijuana, yeah. they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So since release. Res has been met with high praise both by critics and by those in the gaming industry. The game has made Time Magazine's 100 Greatest Video Games of All Time list and ranked at number 22 on the Sagabit's Top 100 Sega Games list. Wow, that's pretty high. It is. And while highly influential, no game has truly surpassed Res, not even Mizuguchi's own games. There is so much that can be said about Res that we probably didn't get to. So what else do we want to say? What do we think we missed? <laughs> I, I, I mean, um, probably we should have played the the trans vibrator and like, I don't know. I think we need to make a whole video. I'm probably gonna make a video on the trans vibrator. I'm gonna order the trans vibrator 
and make a long form video on it. But but you you said experiences with the re releases on here. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know. If we're gonna get to that. But like, I I played the Dreamcast one. I played the PS2 one. I played the three. I so I played them all. Yeah. Uh, I I don't own the VR one. I, I like I told you I haven't bought anything for my M eight bit. I've I've been to their store. It's like, it's isn't it kind of weird that Enhanced Games didn't put this game physically in stores, but they uh, signed a contract with I M eight bit. So, but it's always the same price. So yeah, I haven't picked weird. it up yet, but I, I want to. Yeah, but yeah, uh, same here. Um, but as as the best one, I would say that so far the VR really does make a difference if you want to experience a game like that in a new way. And it kind of makes me wish that Sega would just re-release games like House of the Dead or Virtual Cop and just add VR as a gimmick for a reason to re-release these games. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, I mean, don't make it you have to have VR. I mean, make it optional. But the idea that you get a, a new collection of these classics with an added function it's kind of like uh, a no-brainer in my opinion but uh yeah i'm glad Mesaguchi uh got into it and and i'm actually happy that we got the re-release on ps4 just uh might as well just re-release it on everything just put it on the switch on the xbox one <laughs> that would work why not that would work for me uh as for me I, I think we covered a lot here i actually wanted to cover just about everything we could just because I, I don't foresee us coming back to Res. There's no sequels. It's not like we're going to do a Res HD episode in five years or something like that. Um, so I hope we hit everything. I think the music, I can't really speak to the specific tracks, like the artists and stuff. I don't really know much about them. But I don't think you should really get into all that, really. that It's just the music that they created that was used in this game. That's the important part. And there's a lot... Two, and if it sounds like I had trouble getting my thoughts together, it's because a lot of this game, it can't be put into words. It's a lot of feelings. Um, it's uh, very hard to market. Like, you told us right now, right? Like, yeah. the commercials were just strong men. <laughs> like, what does it have to do with the game? But it's like, if they tasked you as a advertiser, what would you make the game? No. Just a girl using the uh, trans vibrator? Maybe I'll go watch that video after after we uh, wrap this up. But right. um, before we wrap this up, so you can support us on Patreon. You would get this episode about three or four days earlier than anyone else. We also have a lot of other content on there. There's audio versions of all of our videos, so that's for you too. Um, you can click on over to patreon.com slash segabits to check that out. And again, too, if you're at a certain tier, you get to tell us what games to cover. And you also get not only priority, but we're only going to be reading, at least for the time being, uh, comments from people on our Patreon about the game we talk about. So uh, it, it's sparse, but I'm going to read them. So we have Daniel, <laughs> and here's his memories on the game. I never played it. <laughs> great, great memories on the game. Mm, but it looks favorite. awesome. I love the design of the game. So you should check it out, Daniel. There's a lot of different platforms to play the game on now. If you have PS4, Xbox 360, Dreamcast, PS2, it's out there. Uh, and it's waiting for you. Get a vibrating chair yeah, and yeah. play it. Uh, Bad Sonic says, I had loved this game. The use of music, graphics, and the rumble pack was extremely unique, but I never finished it. You need to finish it because Area 5 will give you the brain tingles. And so, uh, from all of us here at Sega Talk, myself and George, 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll be back in two weeks with another game. Maybe Snail Maze or something. We'll see. Ooh, Snail Maze. Moonwalker, maybe. Ooh, you can walk backwards. Right. Ooh, bye. Bye.